Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. This is Lainey from the Library Love Fest team. I'm very excited for our guest today. I have an interview with Danya Kukaka. Hi, Danya. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. We have had so many people loving, so many librarians loving Notes on an Execution, your upcoming novel. And I knew I had to have you on the pod because we are both true crime fans. So I felt like we had to have a good conversation. I'm excited. Um, So just a little bit about you for our listeners. Um, Internationally bestselling author of Girl in Snow. That was your debut novel released in 2017. It was a national bestseller. Indie Next Pick, a BNN Discover Pick, and it, the list goes on. And it has been optioned for a TV series currently in development. And you currently work as a literary agent. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> get to know both sides of the, the business. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but we're here to talk about your upcoming novel, Notes on an Execution. Fantastic read. Totally blew me away. And so thought-provoking. And just characters that won't leave anyone's mind for a long time. Um, So can you tell um, the listeners a little bit about the book? Yeah, thank you so much. That was a great little intro. Um, So this book is, as you mentioned, about a serial killer, Um, but actually it's not really about him at all. It's actually about the women in his life who are deeply and permanently affected by his crimes. So the novel opens in a prison cell 12 hours before Ansel Packer's execution. Ansel is a character you might recognize, especially if you're a fan of true crime. He's a middle-aged white guy who is very much guilty of what he's been imprisoned for. So while the book counts down to his execution at the hands of the state of Texas, um, it tells a much more complicated story about the web of women affected by his violence. So you have his mother, Lavender, who is forced to abandon him at a tragically young age. You have his ex-wife's sister, Hazel, who watches her twin decline in her marriage to Ansel. And you have Safi, the detective who hunts him down for decades. So these women really take up the meat of the book, telling the story both of Ansel and his life and of the long tentacles of trauma and endurance that male violence always inevitably leaves behind. Wow. Yeah. And it's our lead read pick for the winter 22 season. That was, had to be super exciting news when you got Oh, I, I mean, there was a phone call in which I just jumped around screaming. (laughs) I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah, It's a big deal and much in-house love for it. I, I'm on that committee and I can just tell you all of the things in our group was just like, you have to read this book. It's so good. Um, oh, makes me so happy. Thank yeah. you guys. I kind of, I still kind of can't believe it. <laughs> believe it. It's coming. Um, so it's, you have so much kindness in this book towards these women that surround this man's life and his victims, but at the same time, balancing 
this larger question of like human flaws and uh, are we good or are we bad? And you can't be, you can be more than one thing. Um, and how we deal with like this hand that we're dealt. And I think you just do it so beautifully, not even the writing, just very much like book clubs are going to go crazy because there's so much to discuss. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I said, a lot of in-house love, but as well as out of house love. So Britt Bennett said, examines a culture that romanticizes men who kill while also exploring the lives of the overlooked women altered by this violence. Uh, Ivy Pakoda, unflinching and unromantic, yet wrenching and devastating in equal measure, never falling into the easy trap of sensationalism. Notes on execution pushes women to the forefront of the narrative that has too often overlooked them and they all suffer. So those are just a few quotes, but the quotes go on like they're, it, it really it's so wonderful. And I think that those capture everything you're doing. Very perfect. Oh, thank you. I had another very serious pinch me moment when those blurbs <laughs> came in. <laughs> it's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, onto the question. So I know you speak in the note from the author in the galley, uh, kind of a behind the book telling the story of how you wanted to tell the story of women in serial, the serial killer's life. So how does this differ from your first book? And why did you decide to write this story? Oh my goodness. Um, it differs in many, many ways from the first book. So my first novel, Girl in Snow, is a pretty, um, it's a twist on the classic whodunit, right? So at the beginning of the book, you have a body of a pretty young dead white girl. And at the end of the book, you have a killer and you know who the killer is. And I mean, I like to think it's a little more complicated than that, but um, that one is a, a twist on the whodunit. I tried, you know, to change structure, play with, development of characters, things like that with that book. Um, but in the end, it does sort of lean into that structure. And Notes on an Execution absolutely doesn't. Um, I think this book is not about who killed the women. You know from the first page who killed the women. It's Ansel Packer. It's this guy. He did it. He's in prison. <laughs> um, so the main question of the book is not who did it, um, which I think is what differentiates them the most. I think this book asks a little bit... Um, I, I hoped that it would ask some deeper questions about what it means to love bad men, to lose bad men, what it means to um, ask for justice in terms of violent crime. Like, what does justice actually mean? You know, like, what what is the satisfaction of justice in a case like this where everything is basically just ending in tragedy? Um, and then also, I really wanted to investigate the trope of the female detective. Um, and that was really fun for me, too, because, you know, I've seen pretty much every female detective out there I love them all and I wanted to do something a little bit different <laughs> I love that I, lo I have, really didn't think about the female detective trope but I really um, like that <laughs> it's funny because you say justice and that was I'm going to skip down to my last question because I said mm -hmm. justice is a big theme that we are exploring here but usually you know there's sometimes an answer and it doesn't always feel finite and there's always more evil to kind of contend with in the world but what was it like to deal with justice in a story that you're concocting? Mm -hmm. Like you get to say what happens in the book. Did yeah. that change when you were writing? Yeah, I mean, I it changed a lot as I was doing research about the death penalty, actually. That was the most uh, jarring experience for me was reading. I did a lot of, um, you know, reading firsthand accounts of people who've had loved ones murdered and then gone to watch the executions of the murderers. Um, and it's an incredibly varying spectrum of people who found it satisfying, people who hated it, people who refused to go because they thought it was wrong. Um, and ostensibly, 
the death penalty is for the victims, right? That's the idea. It's for the sake of the victims. It's justice, it's reparation, it's vengeance, whatever. Um, but it doesn't really do anything other than kill somebody. I mean, in the end, it's just more death on top of death. Um, yeah, cool, fun themes for today. Some death on top of more death. <laughs> but I think the idea of justice is what we chase when we ask for the death penalty, and we're never going to get it. Um, I think I think this book, I like to think this book takes a pretty staunch anti-death penalty stance just in the sheer pointlessness of it. Um, but, you know, each every reader can come away differently. Yeah. Unless you're like Ted Bundy, who has like 10 lives and you're yeah. like, well, that maybe you know. it's like, I, I, maybe we need to revisit some, some thoughts on that. Yeah, but there's, um, a, there's a point in the book where the character wishes for an air shaft like Ted Bundy. Cause you know, he just like bails straight out of there. Yeah, you're just <laughs> I like, I mean, who was on duty that day? But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so also speaking of Ted Bundy, which I never want to say that in my life again, but, um, <laughs> In the note at the beginning of the book, you do there, you say average men become interesting when they start hurting women and you wanted to look into that. And so you mentioned the Ted Bundy, Zac Efron movie, which I totally agree. It's, I always say it's like if Ted Bundy wrote it himself, like it was very <laughs> so bad, right? I'm just like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole point was Liz's story and she, I know didn't get a She's story. Even, no, she just sits there and cries for the whole movie. It's unreal. Yeah. I, I found it truly upsetting um, to it watch. Was, it was really mm-hmm. bad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, so I totally agree with that, but like, why do you think there is this greater question of this infatuation with these men and why, why are we fascinated by it? I know there's a large question that you can answer probably in like 10,000 yeah. pages of a book, but I just, I mean, that's the question I'm also asking with this book. I don't have an actual answer for it. I do think, um, you know, with Ted Bundy specifically, what people I think love about Ted, I've watched all the Ted Bundy content out there and there's a lot of it. Um, And I sort of stepped back and thought like, why, why are we so interested in this? And actually, um, I think for Ted Bundy specifically, it's because he appears so normal, right? Um, normal in quotation marks. He he is able to fit into society in ways that other famous killers like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer are not able to fit into society. Um, you know, like he had so many people fooled on a daily love on a daily level that I think that makes him particularly interesting to people. But I did have a moment when I was watching I can't even remember which Ted Bundy content it was. It was like one of the multiple tapes of his that have been released over the past few years. Um, And I was like, why are we still doing this? You know, it's been so many years since this man was convicted and killed and we're still releasing more and everybody still wants to watch it. And I do think part of it is wondering how your brain gets like that, right? Like how the human brain gets to that point. And actually I had written um, Ansel Packer, my serial killer in Notes on an Execution. I had written him in the third person to start. Um, So it was told from the he, he, him perspective. And after watching one of those specific Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix or whatever, I came to that conclusion that the idea is that you are curious what it's like inside that person's head. And I switched the perspective of the novel to the second person to the you. So when you're reading notes on an execution, you are Ansel Packer, right? The first, the first sentence is you are a fingerprint. And I think people do are curious, you know, could I ever do something like that? I mean, I sure hope not. Um, but people are curious how the human brain gets to that point and what it's like to live inside that brain, I think, in a very morbid way. Yeah, that's interesting. Or even maybe now 
that we're changing a little bit of the perspectives of it's maybe the, also the thought is like, what can we do to help? Like, what can we mm-hmm. stop? What? And I mean, you explore yeah. that too in the book, like and what also the, gets you there? Exactly. Exactly. And there's also the argument that women like true crime because they want to learn how to protect themselves. And I don't, I'm not sure if I oh, really, that. yeah, I'm not Why? sure. I think there's something a little darker there. I don't listen to okay. true crime to be like, what would I do if I were apprehended mm-hmm. in a ha- in an alley? You know what I mean? Um, Interesting. Yeah, I think there's something a little more psychologically morbid in there about, about why we like true crime <laughs> rather than just survival. Okay, that's interesting because I always say very much like, okay, well, if I'm faced with two ways to go home, mm-hmm. I like true crime and I know that like that one's a little less lit oh, yeah. and that's maybe that's kind of. I mean, we pick up tips along the way for sure. But yeah, also, but maybe it's, there's definitely more of a psychology there. It's not just like, well, let me find out how to escape this killer on this road. I totally get that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So yeah, so you're a true crime fan. And when did this interest begin? Do you have like a a certain case that you think about? Oh, no. I, you know, it's funny. I grew up watching network crime TV, like the really bad stuff, like Criminal Minds, Law and Order SB was my favorite. My mom and I used to watch CSA Miami. Like my mom literally yeah. went back to school for social work because she loved Callie Duquesne from CSA Miami oh, wow. so much. I was always a huge fan of Olivia Benson, still am to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really where my interest in the narrative started taking shape was because I watched just, I just ingested so much of it that at a certain point you become numb to the dead right. bodies. You become numb <laughs> to the, the hunt and the chase and you want more. And I think that is sort of how I ended up here. And then in terms of true crime, I would say that actually has come a little bit later in life. You know, mm. I do remember growing up John Benet Ramsey. I do remember Natalie mm. Holloway. I do remember, you know, those huge sensationalist cases. Um, but those were more like, you know, cases I would see on the front of magazines at the grocery store. Right. And I never really got into it until the internet. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, so I think a little bit later on in life is when I became more interested in, in true crime, when podcasts started to explode and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about research, but was there any other research mm-hmm. or like presumed characteristics of killers that you employed when writing Ansel's character? Yes and no. I watched a lot of Mindhunter, which I love. Um, Mindhunter? <laughs> but oh, I was really careful to avoid a lot of those characteristics mm. and a lot of those tropes because the whole point, and I think there's one point at which the character Safi, the detective, says, like, every human brain is different. Every human brain is wrong in different ways and right in different ways. And by sort of... Um, putting killers in these categories, we dehumanize them as we maybe want to, but that was not what I wanted to do here. Um, I did not want to say like, this guy's just a psycho. Um, He's a person, right? Um, And he has his own ways of thinking and living and I wanted to make him real. Um, So I think I... I used my general knowledge of having consumed so much media in that space to create him, but I was really careful to make him his own person as well. Yeah. Yeah. True. And you do such a wonderful job with showing those complications, like how this monster Mm -hmm. is created. I mean, he had a terrible childhood, but he also kind of has signs of darker issues going on. So it's like, can't really blame that. But these women, I feel represent these like fractals of like, the life he could have lived or like the coping methods he could have employed. And I love that it kind of says like, there's no excuse. Like we all go through terrible things and and your brain may be hardwired for different things. But, um, but then I started feeling bad for Ansel's 
background and you're just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it is a great yeah. job of exploring his heartaches and his pains as well as the terrible things. Was it hard Thank to sympathize you. when writing him? No, it was surprisingly not. I mean, I really went into this book thinking like, I actually maybe went into this book with the mindset that I'm trying to escape within the book, which is like, oh, this guy is interesting because he killed people, right? Um, And then through writing it, I discovered that he wasn't. One of my favorite um, things about writing this book was the, I won't give too much away, but the Safi character, the detective, has a very similar upbringing to Ansel. um, And she becomes not a murderer. Um, and there, I had a lot of fun paralleling them and showing the ways in which actually you are responsible for your choices, no matter what happened to you in life. Um, and you are responsible for every day that you live and every choice that you make. Yeah, I know. I loved her character and she really had this like stick to that she really <laughs> stuck to what she thought. And what, what are some of the skills or like even knowing him prior to like while they were growing up, what helped her? in pursuing him. Do you mean like her detective skills? Yeah, I don't know. Like, do you think <laughs> well, it was mainly because she knew of him and could kind of connect things or what do you I think? I think, so I, I believe if you have a traumatic childhood, like they do, and I've done a little bit of research in this space, um, but if you have traumatic childhood, like they do, you learn how to adapt, right? You learn how to read people very carefully, which both of them are extremely good at him for killing people, her for finding killers, right? Um, you learn body language, you learn things like just basic survival tactics that can be applied both to murdering and to police work (laughs) that I think totally, uh, totally kind of go hand in hand. Again, you can choose, you can choose how you live your life and you are held to those Mm -hmm. things that you do. Yeah, true. So these three women who are so fascinating, but how did you pick these three women more specifically, I guess the question is also Hazel, who is Jenny's sister. Like, why not tell Jenny's story, who is Ansel's wife? So it's mm-hmm. like, why pick the sister instead of the person mm-hmm. who knows him probably better? Yeah. So this book, I will talk a little bit about um, my, my writing process here, which uh, is very, very roundabout. And I'm really hoping to not repeat this process again next time around. Um, but I basically wrote this book. Um, the first draft was told from Ansel's perspective directly, half of it. And then the other half was told from a character, Blue, who's not even in the book anymore, really. Um, and she had this whole side plot. And it was like this whole uninteresting teenage drama thing um, that got completely taken away. Um, so I gave that draft to my agent, said, here's my second book. And she kind of sat down and was like, no, I don't think so. Um, which, you know, I'm very grateful for now at the time mm. was fairly devastating. Um, so I, I really started over. I, that was when I envisioned, had to re-envision the structure of the novel. So the novel takes place in 12 hours counting down. And that was at the point where I sort of sat back and was like, okay, you know, this told his whole life story from the beginning to the end in the first draft. And now I need to condense it and figure out a better way to tell it. And my agent also is so brilliant. And she, during that conversation sort of said, you know, what about the women? What about the women? And that really, really stuck with me. I sat down after that point and auditioned maybe like, I think about a dozen side characters that could potentially fill these roles. I always knew I would have Lavender, his mother, because she was so integral to the even just like the conception of him as a character. Um, And that was the first one I wrote. And um, I had had Safi as a child already in that draft from Ansel's perspective, Um, but she disappeared. And it was a huge aha moment to have her come back. 
Um, and then the question about Hazel is a really good one. So I actually didn't have Jenny really at all in, um, in the first draft. And my agent had said like, this is kind of interesting. You know, he was, he's married. Um, how does that look? What is that like? And I didn't feel like I wanted to tell it from Jenny's perspective, just because I didn't quite want to get into sort of the like victimization of her. I was more interested mm. in showing the longer reach, right? Um, like showing the devastation that Ansel's Ansel's actions have on her sister um, was, I thought, just more interesting. Like how far those those actions really do reach. Um, and, you know, figuring out the plot points from that point was a whole other story. But um, yeah, I had written, you know, 12 women and and sort of found the ones that felt most natural to me. Wow. Yeah. No, I I know it's fiction. This is not a real person, nor are these women real people. But like, I felt very much like they were at the end where it was like, no, I know how they feel. I know what they're going through, which it was the whole point, you know, tell yeah. them in stories. And uh, yeah, I get some also, uh, I also like that his manifesto, which a big eye roll at this manifesto, because why do they always have a manifesto? But um, they have to, right? You have to have a manifesto. You're like, yeah, you tell me how to live. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, he writes as he befriends someone in the prison, like he is still working really hard to feel in control till the end. Mm -hmm. And that's important to him. And you're, but it gives me some happiness that he can kind of be jolted a little when someone else has a different perspective or like pointing out that these women, like he erased these women's futures. Um, but just putting these women back in the narrative is something in the greater true crime community. We're all talking about that, but I think this book is a perfect example of like how we can do this in fiction and like turning the clever, pillar into what did he really take away um yeah. also my agent during that process had a um a great moment in which she was like look this guy is not that smart come on like he's just not that smart he thinks he is but he's not and I feel like that's totally the way of many of these men whether or not they're killers just generally bad men think they're really smart right um, and yeah. I, I had so much fun playing with the manifesto in like a, for as a way for him to believe in his own intellectualism yeah. um and to also show the reader how middling it is um, no it was perfect I mean yeah. I'm glad he had his manifesto in this book not because yeah <laughs> I think yeah. manifestos are good for them but I think that that really does prove that exact point of like, they think they're in control. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the, like trying to figure out how it doesn't happen. Like, how do we stop them from getting away with something mm -hmm. for this mm -hmm. long? How do we, yeah. So that goes back into figuring out why that brain works the way it does. Mm -hmm. If we had all the answers, let me tell you, the world would be different. <laughs> Uh, well, that's really all I had about the book itself because mm -hmm. it, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, it's, it's a truly great read. So I hope librarians out there, if you haven't read it, please get an e-galley. I have a couple of fun questions that are not. Yeah. About that, so, okay. Uh, I'm ready. Yeah. So you're a literary agent. So what was it like going from, you know, doing that to the author side? How was it fun? Um, so, yeah. So I've had a parallel career for about a decade now. I've been writing and working in publishing for about a decade. Um, and I recently made the switch over. I had been working as an editorial assistant at Riverhead Books at Penguin Random House um, when my first novel came out. And then I left to write full time. 
really missed publishing and came in as an agent about a year and a half ago. Um, so I've kind of always been doing the double track. I, it, it has always kind of felt like, yeah, two parallel lines to me rather than, than a switch from writer to agent or back and forth. Um, so it feels very natural for me. I'm like shockingly extroverted for a writer. Most, most are not as, um, like I really need constant like stimulation and socialization. And for me, the agenting life is perfect for that. Um, so they kind of go together, um, hand in hand for either one to work. That's awesome. What do you read as, uh, what are you looking for? Like, what do you usually read? Is there, are they crime or? Yeah, I want to be doing a lot of crime and suspense. Um, I love true crime. If you, if you're writing a smart true crime proposal, please send it my way. Um, I'm really looking for, um, I'll put out the call. I'm looking for horror, thriller, suspense, mystery um, in the non-white lady space. I would love to see more of that. Mm. Um, I'm looking for, I love like experimental fiction, speculative fiction I do. Um, so anything basically that like reads really quickly and beautifully and also has a little genre edge to it, I mm. really love. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, are there authors in the crime or true crime space that you just generally admire? Like who do you like to read for fun? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I loved one of my favorite books ever was The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzana Lesnovich. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of the most beautiful true crime books ever written. I absolutely mm-hmm. recommend it. Um, I really love Savage Appetites. Um, and that is a wonderful true crime book that profiles um, four different crimes by women. Um, and it's mm-hmm. fantastic. And she's super, super smart. Um, and then what else? You know, some of the classic true crime isn't really doing it for me these days, but I'm really into podcasts for true crime, yeah. as I'm sure you all are. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed um, One Click, which is um, mm-hmm. Elle Fanning's podcast about um, this not diet about pill this. that this diet pill people are ordering on the internet and dying from. Um, it's a really crazy story. And then I also just listened to Missing on 9-11, um, mm. which is about, have you heard of that one? I haven't. It sounds it's devastating. Fascinating. Yeah. It's about a woman who went missing in lower Manhattan the night before 9-11 and wow. was never found. And they're not sure if she died in 9-11 or after or before, or what happened to her or if she's still out there somewhere. So it's very, very fascinating. Those have been some of my favorite favorite true crimes lately writing it down that sounds really great (laughs) um have you are you a fan of tori telfer at all have you read her stuff i don't i do not know her stuff if you like or well if you find it interesting to hear about like female specific crimes Mm -hmm. she does a few podcasts but um she has book a book called lady killers and a book called Mm -hmm confident women all about con women anyway oh, she's like yes my okay, favorite I'm writing that down yeah. I, that sounds so good okay the audiobooks are really wonderful so oh, I love audio yeah um I picked up knitting during the pandemic Ooh. I'm like a constant knitter Knit- I knitted this cardigan I'm wearing right that's now. impressive uh, you can't you. see it but this is a very impressive <laughs> cardigan um, so I'm constantly listening to audio while I'm knitting and I love it. Okay. Um, well, so I'm totally going to get that one. Get yourself some, some female centered crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last question, and mm-hmm. I find this very fun, but on, and I found the article, so I understand, but on your Instagram, it says pickle enthusiast, which I really appreciate. Yes. And <laughs> can you tell them why you are a pickle enthusiast? Oh, I love 
pickles. I they, it's they're my favorite food. If I could eat anything, like and only one thing ever, it would just be pickles. Um, when I was growing up, my I grew up in Colorado, but my grandmother and her whole family lived um, on Long Island in New York, and we would go to the the deli where they have those huge pickle barrels, um, and it was like the best thing of my life. I always loved going to New York specifically for the pickles. Um, and I started making pickles myself um, a few years ago. And that was a real adventure. I basically have been perfecting my recipe for a long time. I still haven't totally nailed it, but I have to say, I think they're pretty good. That is impressive. I would not know where to begin. <laughs> but it's funny because that Literary Hub article that is on your website about why you are a pickle enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny because I have, like, I love pickles too, but I have like these seminal like growing up story like I would go to my grandparents in the summer and my cousin and I would eat pickles and rent blockbuster movies and I'm like mm-hmm. why are grandparents and pickles like why do they go together I don't know but they go together so beautifully <laughs> <laughs> so I very much enjoyed that article oh good I'm glad um well from one pickle enthusiast to another thank you so much for coming on and uh like I said everyone needs to come go get the e-galley the book is out January 25th and that's our lead read for the season notes on execution thank you so much for having me this was so fun of course bye guys bye thank you for listening to the library love fest podcast for more information on this week's episode go to librarylovefest.com Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.